If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter number 9. In Sunday school, Brother Justin, he taught about Peter and how Peter really had failed his Savior. And then how he was restored and came back. It was a good, good lesson. Hopefully you come to Sunday school. If not, I encourage you to do so. Today we're going to look at, in this service, two of the disciples as well. And uh, they had the wrong spirit in them. In Luke chapter number 9, we'll start reading in verse number 51. Luke 9, 51. And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That word, uh, that, that person it's speaking of is Jesus, that he set his, his face steadfast. And verse number 52, and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. So these messengers go before Jesus to start speaking about Jesus, to, to talk about him, to make ready for his entrance into the city in verse 53. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? So Jesus was not really welcomed here. They didn't want him coming into their town and then James and John said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven just like Elijah did to slay those prophets of Baal? And Jesus gives us his response in verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. This morning, just for a little bit, I want to talk about this, this event and I want to see you know, the disciples and their, their mind and their heart and then see how Jesus reacted to that. And uh, in our own lives, hopefully we can see some things that maybe we need to evaluate and make sure that we have the spirit that really is of God, God's mindset, God, God's thoughts. And uh, if not, hopefully today you will, you will change those views. Let's pray though. Lord, we thank you so much for... The Word of God, Lord, every time I open it, every time that I stand up here and, and Lord, I present it, I just want to, I want to say what you, what, what you once said to these people, Lord God. I truly believe that your Spirit leads us. I believe that as we come into church and, and hear the Word of God, I think the messages are meant for us. And God, today I pray that it would be meant for these people. I pray for anyone in this room today who doesn't know you, Lord, that today as we read about Jesus and Lord, how he was going to go to Jerusalem and his purpose and his mindset that God today, they would just be convicted in the heart, Lord God, and just drawn to you. And we ask that you'd work in everybody's heart today, though. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first let's focus on what Jesus is doing here. In verse number uh, 51, he is going to Jerusalem. Now, I think that most everybody in this room understands why Jesus came. He came to this earth so that he could die for our sins. And this is what he was going to do. This was his intention as he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to be received up and they were going to hang him on a cross. 
Jesus came to this earth for that mission and that purpose. And I don't ever want to read a verse of Scripture like this and just not see the fact that Jesus is such a wonderful, loving Savior. And you don't have to turn here. I'll read a few verses, though. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse number 15, the Bible says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Right there, Paul said, I am chief of sinners. And this is a faithful saying, and this is a true saying, that Jesus came to the world to save sinners. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Bible says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was His purpose. In Matthew chapter 20, and verse 28, the Bible says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. What a wonderful concept that Jesus Christ came to this earth to save sinners. And He did just that. Now listen to me. When, when James and John, when they saw this town of these Samaritans, and they rejected Jesus, they, they were offended at that for whatever reason. And we'll think about that in a minute. But their immediate response is, Lord, let's send fire down from heaven and consume all of them. And that's not what Jesus wanted. That wasn't in His heart. That wasn't His mission. That wasn't His purpose. Uh, hold your place right here and turn with me to Isaiah chapter number 50 real quick. Isaiah chapter number 50. We're reading here in uh, Luke chapter number 9 about Jesus setting His face to go into Jerusalem, how it was steadfast. I believe this was prophesied in Isaiah chapter number 50. By the way, the Bible is just such a wonderful book. I know that many people will criticize it and they doubt it and don't believe it. But I want to tell you, Isaiah wrote this prophecy before Jesus ever came to this earth. He had no... By the way, many times when these writers, would, when they would record these things and write them down, they had no idea what was going to happen. It was God revealing that to them. What a wonderful book the Bible is. But anyway, Isaiah chapter number 50. Look with me in verse number 5. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, that was Jesus, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Do you see right here how God revealed to Isaiah how Jesus would be treated? This was Jesus right here. He gave His back to the smiters. We know He got whipped over and over again. We know that they ripped the hair off of His face. We know that they spit on Him and they mocked Him. That was Jesus. And then look in verse number 7. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. There's a lot in that today. I mean, this could be a, a sermon all on its own about Jesus, how He set His face like a flint, how He was determined to go to the cross. I want to tell you something today. We know that Jesus Christ is God, but we also know that when He was on this earth, He, he was a man. He was in the form of man. And that He had feelings like you and I have. When He went to the cross, it wasn't something that He didn't feel. It was agony. It was painful. And Jesus knew that this was going to happen. And the Bible says that He made His face steadfast. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die on that cross. You know Jesus didn't have to die on that cross. The Bible makes it clear that He willingly gave His life. 
No man could take his life from him, but he gave it for us. What a wonderful Savior we have. So Jesus is determined to go to this cross. He's determined to go to Jerusalem. He knows what is awaiting him, and yet he's going to go there because he loves us. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3, the Bible tells us this, For consider him that endures such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. You know one thing about this, this, uh, his determination, his purpose, his mission, and how he was set on it? You know one thing that that does for us? It encourages us to keep going for God. Because the Bible says, and by the way, sometimes when you serve the Lord, you may want to faint. And sometimes it's because of people. Sometimes it's because of our own feelings. But, you know, people aren't always kind. People don't always want to obey. People don't always want to follow God. And we see that right here with, you know, with the Samaritans. They didn't want to believe in Jesus. They didn't want to accept Him and receive Him. But we ought to never be weary because our Savior was not weary. We ought ought to keep going because, you know why? Because Jesus didn't stop. Jesus didn't quit. Jesus went to the cross and He died there for you and for me. What a wonderful Savior. So, these uh, Samaritans, they, uh, let's look here in verse 52 again. Uh, he sent the messengers, and they went and entered into the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. Uh, one thing about these Samaritans is the Jews and the Samaritans pretty well hated each other because uh, the Jews viewed them as really lower than dogs. I mean, they, they, it, was, it was a half-breed. You were part Jewish, part um, you know, Gentile, part of the Greeks, and so it was a mixed race. And we see many times throughout the Scripture how the Jews viewed these people as really not people at all. They didn't really care for them. So there was a lot of animosity between them anyway. But, uh, you know, Jesus Christ, He was here not just for one race. He wasn't here just for the Jews. He wasn't here just to, you know, work in those people. But He wanted everyone to hear the message. And, uh, you know, a lot of times... We see in the Old Testament how God, he, he did. He worked in the Jewish people's lives. He worked through Abraham, and, and from him came this race. And really, the blessing from the Word of God came from them. God handed that down to them. God entrusted them with that. But that does not, it never means that God only wanted to work exclusively with the Jews. Even in the Old Testament, you can find many stories where people were not Jewish, and God worked in their lives. So it's, it's, it's you know, sometimes these Jewish people... In, in the New Testament era, they would feel like they had something, an advantage over the Greeks and the fact that God was working in them and they viewed them in a different light. And the New Testament writing is really full of correcting some of the people and saying, listen, God is not the God of the Jews only. He's, he's the God of everybody. And He wants to work in everybody's life. So these Samaritans didn't receive Jesus. Look with me in verse number 53. And they did not receive Him because His face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. So the Bible kind of gives us that little insight there. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure I 100% understand everything about that. But one thing I do know is that uh, when Jesus talked to the woman at the well, she was a Samaritan lady, and they worshipped in a different place than the Jews worshipped. The Jews would go to Jerusalem, and that's where they would worship. But when he talked to this woman at the well, she talked about how we worship in this mountain. And she said, Jesus, I know you're a Jew. I don't even know why you're talking to me. We worship in this mountain. You, wor- you worship in Jerusalem. So there was a difference in there. Maybe they were just kind of offended at the fact that Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem. 
Like I said, I'm not 100% sure, but the Bible does say because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem, that these people rejected him. So they, they didn't want to accept the message of Jesus. And you know what? I, I know that we all understand this. There are many times when you will talk to people, you will witness to people, you will try to work in people's lives and try to testify to them, and they're going to reject your message. They're not going to want to hear your message. And so I think today we need to see how God views those people first off, but then I think we should change our hearts sometimes when we go to present something to somebody and they reject our message, how we respond to them, how we feel about them, and uh, you know, God loves them, God cares for them. So we see that once they didn't receive them, verse 54, his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou we command fire to come down from heaven? So here's their response. Let's call fire down from heaven because they have rejected you, Jesus. In my, in my mind, I think maybe they were offended that uh, they rejected their Savior. These men were following Jesus. These men loved Jesus. These men had given their lives for Jesus. And this town of people rejected Him. So maybe in their zeal, they said, God, we don't want to see people reject you. So here's the answer. Let's call down fire from heaven and just eliminate the problem. Maybe they were offended because they brought the message. Maybe they went to that village and they were telling them, and these people rejected their message, and they were closed-minded, and they said, you know what, we don't want you here, we don't want Jesus, we won't receive this message. Maybe that offended them. Now hopefully, you've never been knocking on doors, somebody rejected your message, and you prayed, God, let me send down fire on them. <laughs> I hope you've never done that. But the reality is, sometimes, as God's people, we do view people in the way that we shouldn't. Sometimes we look at people in this world, and let me tell you, there, there are many people in this world who are in just wicked and, and abominable sins. But I want to tell you something today. That's why Jesus died. That's why He died. That's why He came. And, you know, if I'm not careful, I can come into this church service... I can kind of have an elevated view of my own self. I can start to think of myself in a way, you know what, I'm living a pretty good life. God loves me. I got His grace on me. And I can kind of forget about those people in the world that are rejecting God right now. What does God want me to do? He wants me to keep preaching. He wants me to show them the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't say, yeah, great, let's send fire down and eliminate them. No. He said, you don't even understand what spirit you're of right now. Your mindset is wrong. He said, I didn't come here to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. And that's why Jesus came. So if I'm not careful, sometimes I can view people and think of myself better than I really am. Because I want to tell you something today. I'm a sinner just like everybody else. I make mistakes just like everybody else. And though sometimes I can come to church and people can look at us and say, man, you really have your life together. I want to tell you something. The only reason I have anything together is because of Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for Him, I'd be on my way to hell right now. If it wasn't for Him, I, would, I have no goodness in and of myself. It's Jesus. I don't know how most of you are but, or, and, and, and how you came to Jesus, but... I know for me, I came to church for, for years and I heard the message and 
You know, I'm not going to say that there weren't ever times that God didn't prompt my heart, and I just kind of pushed it off. I just kind of, you know, said, oh, not right now, God, or, you know, what, you know, I've already done that. I've already prayed that prayer. I'm not saying that that's never happened to me. So imagine if God, the moment that I rejected his message, would have said, all right, Jason, I'm done with you. It's over. No more. Let's get rid of Jason. He rejected me one time. And probably most of you in this room, maybe you have a testimony that God did work on your heart. And there were times that you did reject Him and you did run from Him and you didn't listen to the message. Imagine if Jesus Christ would have said, I am done with you. It's over. We ought to be patient with people. We ought to love people like the Lord loves people. Sometimes I do look out and I see people and how they live and, and maybe it kind of disgusts me and maybe it kind of makes me upset the things that they're doing and the way that they're living. But you know what I had to remember? Jesus Christ died for those people. He died for them. He didn't die because they were good. You know what? Jesus didn't die so that we could be good enough to just accept Him one day. He died for the people that were just utterly and hopelessly lost. One thing we find in the New Testament over and over and over again, you know where Jesus Christ spent His time? He spent His time with the, play, with the people that the religious crowd considered just vile people. People that they wouldn't even want to talk to or touch. Leave me alone. Don't. That's who Jesus spent His time with. You know why? Because that's who He came to save. He came to save those that realized, I have no hope. One interesting thing about, uh, if, you, if you ever study in the New Testament, the people that we find Jesus rebuking most harshly is number one, the religious crowd who always thought they were good and better than everybody else. And then number two, his disciples. His disciples got some uh, pretty harsh rebukes every now and then. Uh, but one thing we don't really find him, and I'm not saying that Jesus didn't tell them of their sins, but we don't find Jesus just beating people over the head that were hurting, people that were broken, people that were sinners. Now, he would reveal their sin. I, I, that is a true statement. But he didn't, he didn't really rebuke them like he did these religious people and, and his followers. Uh, hold your place here, and then let's turn to John chapter number 8 real quick. John chapter number 8. This, we're going to take a look at the religious people here for a minute. This isn't his disciples. But uh, in John chapter 8, there's this story about this uh, woman who's caught in adultery. And I just want to show you how Jesus reacted to her and how he reacted to the religious people. Uh, look with me in verse, John chapter 8, verse number 3. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, it's interesting to me that they call him Master because many of these religious people didn't really believe Jesus, but they said, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. said, we caught her in the very act of adultery, Jesus. In verse number five, they're going to quote from the book, they're going to quote from Moses. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? These uh, religious people, by the way, these religious people were not good uh, Godly people, they weren't people that loved others. Um, right here we find them using the Bible to try to really catch Jesus in something that they could say, look at Jesus, he wants to stone this lady. They were always trying to make Jesus look bad. So they weren't even using the Bible in the right way. But anyway, in verse 6, this they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. 
But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So Jesus completely ignores them. Uh, if you have kids, sometimes when you tell your kids what to do, they are really good at ignoring you. So Jesus Christ, he did that. He blocked them out. Sometimes I, I think my daughters can't hear me at all. I know Kirsten loves it when I talk about her, so she'll probably complain to me later. But Jesus, so, so imagine this. These religious people find this woman who's caught in adultery. And then they said, Jesus, the law says that we should stone her. What do you think? So he, as if he doesn't even hear them, kneels down and he starts writing in the sand. <laughs> Look in verse number 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. So Jesus, they keep asking him, they keep on, they, they keep you know, prodding him, and then he stands up and he says, all right, here it is. Any one of you who is standing here right now, if you have never one time sinned, never made a mistake, never did anything wrong, you pick up the stone and you be the first one to throw it. In verse number 8, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. So now we see this crowd leaves. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who would try to figure out what Jesus was writing in the sand, and I would love to know what it was, but the Bible did not give us that insight. So whatever Jesus wrote, Jesus even saying to them, if you're without sin, cast it. Whatever he wrote, this really convicted these people, and they left. So here's this lady all by herself. In verse number 10, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now listen to me, Jesus right here, he acknowledged the fact that this woman was caught in sin. Because he said, go and sin no more. So Jesus knew that she was a sinner. And I'm sure whatever he wrote on the ground, as much as it convicted all these other religious people, it probably convicted this lady as well. But Jesus said something very interesting. He said, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. I want to tell you something today. You know what condemns us? It's definitely our sins. But the real thing that condemns a person is when they reject Jesus Christ and never receive Him as their Savior. The condemnation is not that Jesus Christ came down here to say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're condemned. No, Jesus came to give life and people rejected that and that's the condemnation because they reject the Savior. And here we find these disciples missing all of this. And really missing the point of why Jesus came to this earth. If you're back in Luke chapter 9, I'm going to go back just a little bit and we're going to kind of see a couple of events leading up to this. So look with me in verse number 37. And we'll read a couple of different things that was going on in the disciples' lives. Verse number 37 of Luke 9, And it came to pass that on the next day when they were come down from the hill... Much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him. And he suddenly crieth out, 
and it teareth him that he foameth again, and bruising him hardly departeth from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. So there's, there's a picture of this man who comes to Jesus, and he's got this one and only child, and he says, please, Jesus, you have to help me. He is, he is possessed, and your disciples couldn't help me. Look in verse number 41. And Jesus answering said, O faithful, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. Now, that right there is once again, Jesus, he was a little bit harsher on his followers, quite a bit harsher, than he would be on the crowd that didn't know him. So he talks to his disciples, didn't you have enough faith for this? How long am I going to be with you? And then Jesus, in verse 42, and he was, and as he was yet a coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. Is that how you guys talk as he was yet a coming? It's good stuff, right? <laughs> so Jesus, he, he, he commands the demon to leave this child and then he heals him. So right here we see the disciples kind of struggled with their faith. Now look with me in verse number 43. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. Which, by the way, I would be amazed too, wouldn't you, to watch something like this? But while they wondered, every one, at all, the, all things which Jesus did, He said unto His disciples, and so now He's going to speak to His disciples, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. So here we find Jesus telling His disciples again, let them sink into your ears. Listen up. I want you to pay attention. I want you to get this. I want you to comprehend this. The Son of Man is going to be delivered. But in verse 45, they understood not. They still didn't understand the whole mission and purpose of Jesus Christ yet. They weren't there yet. Now Jesus had told them about it and Jesus would continue, but they didn't really fully understand what was going to happen. So then, in verse number 46, they have a very spiritual debate. Verse 46, then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest? That's some spiritual stuff right there, right? Who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him, and said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great." God's kingdom works different than man's kingdom. Man judges by who is the greatest. In the kingdom of God, the Bible says the least is the greatest. The servant is the greatest. In the world that we look in, we wouldn't see the, the servant as being better than the master, right? And, uh, and, and when I say this, I'm not talking that we are better than Jesus. But in the, in the, in the field of Jesus... It's not the people that think they're the greatest, that they, they do the best thing. Uh, you know, it's not a preacher who stands up here and he, he thinks I'm the greatest. Because believe me, there are preachers out there who just are very elevated in, in and of themselves. They feel like they are just the messenger of God and they have all this together. But you know what Jesus said the greatest with him was? The one that was a servant. The one that loved people. The one that cared. The one that would give anything to help people. The one that didn't need all these things in exchange. The one that didn't want praise. But the one that just wanted to serve. That was the greatest one. And these disciples, I mean, they struggled here. I mean, they had some, they had some issues, didn't they? By the way, uh, 
I just want to say this because I know that the world around us, many times they are turned off by church, and sometimes it's, it's the fault of the church and the people in the church. Sometimes it's not, though. But um, I, want, I want to say this, and if there's any visitors, I'm not sure if there is or not, but if you ever go to a church and you're in that church, don't ever expect all those members to be perfect. In fact, don't ever expect one of those members to be perfect. They make mistakes, they fail, they fall. You know one thing that the Bible shows us about these disciples, and, and Brother Justin brought this out in Peter too, they fail. They make mistakes. Sometimes they had thinking that was incorrect, like we see right here. Sometimes they argued about silly things. Who's going to be the greatest? You remember uh, when James and, and John, their mother, came in and said, uh, Jesus, I want to know which one of them is going to sit on your right hand or your left hand? That would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? Mom's coming in to... Uh, Try to reason with Jesus who's going to sit on the right hand, who's on the left. But here's the thing. A lot of the times these disciples would be fighting and arguing about the kingdom of God. Oh, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? That was their mindset. And I just want to say today, as much as sometimes people want to present themselves as perfect, and, you know, I got everything together, the truth of the matter is all of us in this room are struggling with things. All of us. Without exception. Um... And to be honest with you, all of us have desires that are wrong and that are evil. And sometimes we let those thoughts and those desires take control. So if you ever come to a church, if you're ever a visitor, if you ever, I, I just want to tell you something. Everybody in this room is making mistakes. But here's the important part. We got to all be growing closer to Jesus Christ. Because these two men right here, I, I hope that they learned a valuable lesson at this moment in time from Jesus. I hope that they learn that, you know what, Jesus Christ, He's different. He, he didn't come to condemn people. So we have imperfect people in this building. I just want you to understand that. And there are going to be times that sometimes we offend one another and sometimes that we do things that we shouldn't do. And I'm talking down from your pastor all the way to the little kids in the, in the nursery, the little kids in, in Sunday school classes, everything. None of us are perfect. None of us are going to be until Jesus Christ comes back. But anyway, I don't want to get lost in that. So, here we have these men with this attitude. And I have listened to sermons online, obviously not here from this pulpit, but where preachers would condemn certain people because of the sinful behavior in their life as in a judgmental way like God should just get rid of them. I've heard a preacher one time he talked about, and, and I'm not going to get into every detail of it, but these certain people with this lifestyle, that he would put them all in a boat and then drive them out into the middle of the ocean and want that boat to sink and all of them to die on that boat. I want to tell you something today. That sounds a lot like these two men right here, doesn't it? Bring down the fire. God, bring down the fire. You know one thing I realize? I'm not the judge. God is. And the Bible even tells us that vengeance doesn't belong to us. Who does it belong to? God. Why would we ever feel okay condemning a person when the Bible says condemnation comes from them rejecting Jesus? Why would I be okay condemning a person's lifestyle? Listen to me, I understand that sin is sin, and I'm going to preach against sin. But I'm not going to preach against that person because we were all there. But thank God He had mercy, right? Thank God that He loved enough 
to die on the cross. I truly believe with all my heart, and the Bible teaches this, that Jesus Christ died for every sin of every person that they've ever committed. Everybody. Now, there are those that would teach there is a limited atonement, that Christ died for certain people, but not others. That's a crazy thought. And if that was a true thought, I mean, who, how would you know? Are you the chosen one? Are you not the chosen one? If that was a true concept, why would you ever witness to somebody? Because if they're going to get saved, they're going to get saved, so why worry about it, right? But that's not, that's not the truth. The truth is that Jesus died for everybody. And as I look out in this room, I want to tell you today, Jesus died personally for each and every one of you. For every one of your sins. And the only thing that is going to get you entrance into heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not your goodness. It's not your works. And I want to remind us as a church, when we think about the lost, when we, when we have a message to share with them, don't ever get into the mindset thinking, God, I wish you were done with them and just get rid of them. That's a horrible mindset. We should never wish harm upon other people. We should never want to see God bring down judgment on people and rejoice in that. Oh, I know with some of these nightclubs and you know horrible things were going on in there. They were wicked. They were living abominable lifestyles. But whenever the shootings occurred and, and many people lost their lives, there, there were people actually rejoicing in that violent act saying, you know what? They got what was coming to them. Show me in the Bible where Jesus ever said to have that heart. Man, they got what, they were, what was coming to them. Praise God, He brought down judgment. Did God ever tell us to rejoice when judgment came upon a person? No. Now listen to me, I'm not saying that God doesn't send judgment, because He does sometimes. But once again, I come back to this point. I am not the judge. And I should never rejoice in somebody getting harm done to them. That's a wicked mindset to me. When these two men wanted harm done to all these people because they didn't believe in Jesus, Jesus actually rebuked them. He rebuked them. Think about James and John. They probably thought in their mind, the Bible doesn't tell us their thought process here, but they probably thought in their mind, you know what, Jesus is going to be so proud of us because we're going to call down fire on these people. But they got a way different response than they probably anticipated getting. Jesus rebuked them and he said, you don't understand my mission. I am not come to destroy people, but I've come to save them. And you know what, church? That should be our mission today. It should be in our heart that we ought to reach out to people. It should be in our heart that we love people and we care for them. Don't just care for the ones that dress the nicest. Don't just care for the ones who, you know, they're, they're friends to you because you have some things in common or don't just care for them because the way they look, the way they act. Care for them because you know Jesus cares for them. Care for them because you know that they're sinners and they need a Savior. Care for them because you know that God loves them. As a church, we ought to... You know what, you know what Jesus told His disciples how the world was going to know that they belonged to Him? The way they loved one another. It's interesting, isn't it? Out of all the things that Jesus said would mark your character and, and, and show that you're really a follower of Jesus, 
was the fact that they loved each other unconditional. That was the love that Jesus said they're going to notice. And by the way, when people come in here, they're going to know if you love them or if you don't love them. They're going to, you know, there'll be things that they'll get from this service. And if we don't treat them with love and we don't treat them like we care for them, I really truly believe they're going to notice that. And I want to tell you something today, and, and the same goes for me. Shame on us for not loving people. Shame on us. Because not one of you in this room, including myself, deserve the love of Jesus Christ. Not one of you. So shame on me forever looking at someone and thinking, you know what? God can't use them. You know what? God doesn't want them. You may not say that out loud, but the way that we treat people, it may be that way in your mind, and your heart. That you think, you know what? God couldn't really love them. I want to tell you something today. God did miracles in the lives of people that were so broken nobody else could help. And I want to tell you something today. We may look at people and we may think they're, they're, there's no hope. It's hopeless. But I want to tell you something today. God can do miracles. And if they would just put their faith in Jesus, He will transform that life like you would not believe. This world, they, uh, I understand they have this, pro- this thought process. And they, you, know, you can put whatever you want in this statement. Once a, whatever. I mean, you can use sinner, but put any sin in there. Once a cheater, always a cheater. Once a liar, always a liar. Once, you know, all these things. You could put that in there. But I want to tell you something today. It's not that a person is just going to turn over this new leaf and just on their own you pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Jesus Christ makes the difference in a person. And I am not under the persuasion that God cannot change any life. Because I believe He can. So maybe you're in this room today and you know you are lost. And you're struggling. You're struggling with sin. You're struggling with, with issues in your life. And you may feel like there is no hope for you. I want to tell you something today. There's hope. Because there's a Savior that can change your life. And He's a wonderful Savior. So if you're in that position today, I beg you, get down on this altar and put your faith in Jesus and cry out to Him. And He will be your Savior. And He'll change your life. And for those of us in this room who have put our faith in Jesus... What I want to encourage you today to do is to look at how you view people. And I want, I want you to think, what spirit am I of? When you think about people, when you knock on doors, when you see people at the store, when you see people at, people at work, what is your spirit? What's your attitude? Do you have the mind of a carnal man? Or do you have the mind of Jesus Christ? That Jesus died to save them. If we have that mentality that Jesus died to save them and that He loves them, it can change how we witness to people. It can change the fact that when you go through the line at the grocery store, instead of just being afraid, as Brother Justin said, fear can really cripple us. Instead of just being afraid, we can say, you know what? Jesus loved you enough to die for you. He loved you. This is all going to come to an end one day. And there are a lot of people that don't have their faith in Jesus right now. But I want to tell you, as long as God leaves us here, there are more and more people that we should be reaching with the Gospel message. And here's the message. Jesus came to save people. I know there's judgment. And uh, the last sermon I preached, I preached on the, the rich man and Lazarus. And, I, and there is judgment coming. 
But I would never try to push a person to Jesus Christ by just causing them to, get, to be afraid. Because I want to tell you something today. The reason that we're drawn to Jesus is because He loved us with such an unconditional love. We love God because Jesus first loved us. He gave His life for us. That's the Savior. So yes, there is doom and gloom for those who reject Jesus. But I want to tell you something today. The best news I've ever heard in my entire life is that Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins. And then He rose again. And then if I put my faith and trust in Him, He will wash away my sins and one day I'll be with Him forever. The best message I've ever heard. Let's share that message with everybody today. Whether you think they deserve it or not. Whether you think they're worthy or not. That is not your judgment call. Share the Gospel message. Share the love of Jesus Christ with others. I don't want to be known as a church that doesn't care for other people. I don't want to be known as a church that doesn't welcome people in our doors. There are people that walk through these doors that live a lifestyle that you would not condone. But guess what? They're lost. Guess what? Jesus died for them. He died for them. And those are the people that we need to reach. Don't just keep it in this, in this room today and say, this is good enough, we got what we need. No, get out there and reach other people. Reach those that are hurting. Reach those that have nothing left and share Jesus with them. And you know what? Jesus can make such a difference in their life. All right, let's uh, bow our heads. We'll close our eyes. We'll have a moment of invitation. So I'll say a prayer here in a minute. And uh, whether it's at your seat, whether it's at the altar, whatever you feel God leading you to do, I encourage you to just cry out to Him, to pray, to, to ask Him to help you. Whatever you got out of this message, ask God to help you to work on it. If you're lost, I'm telling you, come find someone today and we'll help you. We'll lead you in the Scriptures and show you how you can be saved. But I, I encourage all of you in this room to make some decision today for God. Lord, we come to you today and we thank you so much for the members of the church, Lord God. I thank you for each and every person who decided to come to church today. And God, I believe that you had a purpose for them. And I pray this morning, whatever that purpose is, that they would decide they're going to obey you, Lord. They're going to obey your voice. I pray for those who are lost. Lord God, work in hearts today. We ask these things in Jesus' name.